So, Ethan, I don't care what this guy says. You really are the boss. Um, no. <laughs> oh, don't don't shuck that responsibility. We got to blame it on someone. It's it's my fault ultimately. <laughs> it's ultimately. Oh, you mean so you don't have to be the boss to take all the blame? No, no, yeah. You're not in charge, but you take the blame. That sounds like a dictatorship from where I come from. <laughs> well, we are live now. Awesome. Okay. Great. We are live now. That's the theme of our show here. Welcome back to Switchcast Live. Thank you for joining us. I'm your host, Doug Tabbitt, founder of Switch Cars and Cannonball Run record holder two times. And uh, we'd love for you to join us here today, tonight. If you want to call in live, the number is 216-294-4124. Or you can post your questions and comments in the flow of wherever you're watching, if it's on YouTube or Facebook. We'd love to interact with you. Tonight, my co-host slash guest is Mr. David Nelson. I've known him and his family for a dozen years or so. Right. David is a local entrepreneur, businessman. He makes a lot of straws and <laughs> balloons. A lot Balloon of rubber accessories. And, yeah, a lot of rubber and plastic stuff. Exactly. And uh, he's also a pretty decent Ferrari collector. That means he's... I'm it's just a gearhead like you, Just Doug. a gearhead. You collect pretty decent Ferraris, or you're a pretty decent guy who collects Ferraris. I don't know which is which. Probably both. But anyway, we're going to be talking about, I don't know, growing up in around cars, what it's sure. like to be a gearhead, uh, selling straws, <laughs> well, how yeah. to sell enough straws to buy some Ferraris, <laughs> <laughs> and just answering a whole lot of questions. So, uh, David, give me the... Uh, Give me the quick background on on David Nelson and and how you got into cars. Well, I'll tell you, the thing that I remember the most is on my 10th birthday, my mom had a friend and they uh, did a uh, fundraiser for the day at the races. And the winner got, and it was like a raffle thing, the winner got a 1964 white, white Corvette convertible. And so my mom's friend, Izzy Horning, brought it over to our house out in Montrose. And my mom said, hey, I've got a surprise for you. And she said, come on. We walked out the front door, and here comes this beautiful blonde friend of hers in a brand-new white Corvette convertible. And she goes, you want to go for a ride? And I go, I'd really rather drive it. She said, don't push your (laughs) luck, you know. And, you know, ever since then, that's what really kind of got me into the car thing. And I was only 10 years old at the time. Well, that was a good thing because then you were attracted to the curves of the car instead of the blonde. Well, there you go. But, I mean, they both worked, actually. (laughs) And ever since then, I just... uh, I had it in my mind that I wanted to uh, to buy a used car. And so I worked for my dad at the Montrose Swim Club from when I was like 12 years old and basically did slave labor for six years. And I was the cheapest guy in the world. If I saw a penny or a nickel on the ground, I'd pick it up. And I saved every last nickel I made for six years and ended up with like, you know, $5,200 and took it all at once and went out and bought a used 911E Porsche. Was that your first car? That was, well, my first car was a Chevy convertible that my dad bought for me. Gotcha. But this is the first car that I ever bought. What year was that? 
That was probably about 1972. Okay. The that year is, I graduated from high school a million like years ago. That's 15, 20 grand now-ish? 5,200 uh, bucks? Oh, it's probably more than that. Okay. You I know? mean, that, that's, that's a lot. How old were you when you bought I, it? Well, I started saving when I was 12, and when I bought it, I was 18. Still, I, most 12-year-olds probably wouldn't save up 20 grand by the time they're 18. Well, you know, the thing was, it, it, it goes back to seeing that Corvette and just having the passion for cars and thinking that was like the coolest thing I ever saw. Got it. You had a goal in mind. Exactly. And you worked your butt off for it. Oh, I that's, didn't. That's I, awesome. I told my dad, I said, you know, there's child labor laws. Do I really have to do this slave labor? And he's like, hey, shut up and do your job. So I did Ch- it. Child labor laws. Says the guy who saved up enough to buy a 911 at yeah, 20. Yeah, right. Exactly. All right. How do you buy how do you buy a 911 at that age and not wreck it and kill yourself? Well, the interesting thing is, number one, you did I didn't it. wreck it. <laughs> and obviously I'm here tonight. I didn't kill myself. But the crazy thing is, it was in our driveway. And my mom backed her big old country squire station wagon into it and crunched it. And I left home for like two or three days. They didn't know if they should put my face on a milk carton or what, but I was so upset. You know, I worked six years, turned the money yeah. to get this thing, you know. So, I mean, that, that too passed. And then I took it over to a dear friend of mine. He was like a big brother. And I said, hey, Steve, I pulled the Porsche in his driveway before my mom crashed it. And I said, hey, I got something to show you. So he comes outside, puts his arms like this, you know, arm in arm, walks around the Porsche, and he goes, what a piece of junk. And I was devastated. There, Six years of my life just got flushed down the toilet, right? Because my a guy that I looked up to like a big brother said, what a piece of crap, right? So I said, oh, really? So, like, what makes you think that a Porsche isn't one of the best cars? What's, what do you think? And he goes, there's only one car, Ferrari. Oh, no. And I'm like, oh, yeah, fix it again, Tony, you know? <laughs> so nevertheless, uh, as the story goes, I ended up seeing a 275 GTS Ferrari mm-hmm. at Euro Car Service in Norton. You know, it's interesting. Sorry, you, you've said a 911 and a 275 GTS. It's, I don't know if it's coincidental that those are two cars that you still own or have owned recently. Well, yeah, but, you know, the crazy thing is that <clears throat> when I saw this 275, I didn't even know what the heck it was. And I did a bat turn and mm-hmm. went back to Eurocar service and talked to Andy, the owner. He was a buddy of mine. I said, Andy, what the hell is that? He goes, oh, that's a Ferrari 275 GTS, 1966. And I said, wow, that is like, I think, the most beautiful car I ever saw. And he goes, well, you can buy it. And I go, really? He goes, yeah, it's for sale. Franco in Wadsworth has it for sale. And I said, how much? And he goes, $9,000. And I'm Good like, Lord. well, Andy, I tell you what, I got a sad story. It took me six years to save a little more than five grand. So if it was $9 million, it wouldn't be any closer than $9,000 <laughs> for me. Yeah. So the crazy thing. Did you is, offer to trade him straight up for the 911? Yeah, right. And he's like, what, you think I'm stupid or what? You know. <laughs> so the crazy thing is. 
I picked up a New York Times the next Sunday, and I saw a 275 GTS for sale in Philadelphia for 6500 bucks. And I'm like, oh, my God. So I called my buddy Steve, who said the Porsche was a piece of crap. You need a Ferrari. I said, Steve, man, I found a 275, 6500 bucks. He goes, why don't you buy it? I go, because I'm broke, man. I just bought the Porsche. <laughs> yeah. He goes, well, why don't you ask Dino? I said, well, what do you mean? He goes, well, he's been saving for a Lamborghini Mira. I think he's got like 10 grand in the bank. So I called Dino. And he was like a big brother to me, too. And I said, Dino, you're never going to believe it, man. I found this Ferrari 275 GTS. He goes, what the hell's that? I said, oh, it's this beautiful convertible, whatever. And he said, so you're going to buy it? And I go, well, I'd like to, but I don't have any money. <laughs> and he goes, so what are you calling me for? And I go, is there any way you could loan me $6,500 to buy, <laughs> buy this Ferrari? And I promise you, as soon as as we do this if we do i'll sell the porsche and i'll pay you back 100 percent. and he goes really and i go absolutely so he goes all right i'll do it so i call this guy ron zerlin in philadelphia you know the the shady car dealer with the ferrari right i go hey ron david nelson i'd like to buy that 275 and he goes well it's 6500 and i want cash and i go all right, fine. So I say, Dino, we got to go to the bank and get 65 $100 bills, and we're going to just put it in a lunch bag, and we got to go to Philadelphia. He goes, how are you going to get there? I go, oh, I forgot to tell you. Is there any chance we could use your van, and we'll borrow Ace's trailer from next door? So off we go, Larry, Curly, and Mo, Dino, and Steve, and me, to Philadelphia to buy this damn Ferrari. So we get there and it's like 8.30 at night. I mean, it's dark and it's like in the hood for sure. And so we get there and Ron Zerlin comes out. He goes, well, do you want the car? And I go, well, yeah. Can I test drive it? He goes, no, man, I'm late. I got to go. He goes, you want the car? I go, yeah. And he shows me the keys. I go to grab the keys. He grabs the bag with the cash in it, opens it up, looks at the cash, and the dude's gone before I even know. So here <laughs> Did you ever get a title? Oh, yeah, I got the title and I got everything. Well, the interesting thing was he said it had tools and books, and it didn't. So I got my Uncle Joe, who was an attorney, to go after him. The dude gave me $700 off, sent me $700 back. So it actually cost me 5800 bucks. So I <laughs> like I was I was the Porsche. I was living large, man. So I that's sold amazing. the Porsche and paid Dino back and everybody was happy. And that's where the whole thing started. Oh, after gosh. the Corvette. All right. So uh your your friend Steve said you had to buy a Ferrari. No, he said that's the only car. Right. <laughs> you have well, over the course of your life, how many dozen Ferraris have you owned? Oh, you know what the thing is? I used that two seventy five title. And went to the bank and borrowed $5,000 from the title and went out and started buying Ferraris on the cheap. Fix them up, sell them, make 1000 bucks, buy one for 1000 bucks more, and kept doing it and doing it and doing it for a lot of years. By the time I sold that 275 GTS, maybe 10 years later or so, 
I had 26 lean canceled on the title. <laughs> I mean, the thing looked Gosh. like a People magazine. It had so many pages with the oh, lean things on it. Dave you know? Ramsey would have had an ulcer. Oh, oh my God. <laughs> I, I tell you what, I think I probably, I think my banker had some issues too. You know, I had to get a Maalox for Christmas. <laughs> No, but I mean, it was just, it was great. And they, they saw the value in the Ferrari. And since I owned it free and clear, and they knew where I lived, they were willing to loan me the money. And so it was a beautiful thing. So I just went and would look through the newspaper in the Times or whatever. And back then, I mean, you could buy a 250 GTO for six or $7,000. Yep. So you could buy... You know, pretty much anything you could buy something fantastic for two or three thousand bucks, and that's what I did for the next ten years. All right, so you said two fifty GTO. So often people talk about their their regrets, right? Well, I should have bought the I, especially recently, man, right. I shouldn't have sold that Porsche for a hundred k. It's worth two hundred grand now. I'm an idiot. You've correct me if I'm wrong. You've owned a two fifty GTO. Well. Half. I, I yeah, half. Half you own half of a 250 GTO. Okay, that's like 35 million today well, for a half. But here's here's the thing to remember, and whether it's a GTO or whether it's a 62 Chevy or whatever, the thing is when you buy a car and you buy something that you have a passion for that really kind of, you know, trips it for you. The thing is if it ends up going someday, that's okay, but if we spend our lives kicking ourselves in the backside because, oh, it's worth this much now, and it, I sold it for half or whatever, it takes all the fun away that we have from finding it, buying it, driving it, fixing it up, or whatever. So from that standpoint, I've kind of adopted this thought process a bunch of years ago that, you know what? You don't look back at the bad stuff. You look back at the good stuff. And one thing that really helped me, helped get that through my thick skull, was when I still owned the 275 GTS. And this was back probably in the mid-70s. And I found this competition 275 GTB, a Series 1 car, alloy body, six-carb louvers in the rear fenders, Monza filler cap, the whole bit. And I bought it from a buddy of mine in the UK, Brian Classic, for $9,800. Mm. And I had a partner on it and brought went over for the weekend, drove it, said, yeah, I'll take it, and gave him the money and everything. Half was what I borrowed against the GTS. Half was what my partner gave. And had that car in Akron for six months and just burned rubber all the time. I mean, it was just an absolute blast, right? So finally came to the time I had to sell it. And so, you know, I didn't really want to, but I had to because I had to pay Jerry back the money that he loaned me for his half. So we took it to this place in Indiana, a guy named John Hajek, who's one of the great master Ferrari mechanics. I don't even know if John's still with us. And John sold the thing at an auction that he had at his place, Motorcraft, and sold it for $17,000. Oh. 
And That's a I, nice turn. I, I paid ninety eight fifty, and you know, thousand bucks to ship it over. So we yeah. had probably eleven grand into the car, plus a couple sets of rear tires. Uh, you're right, and made six grand on it. Dude, I thought I won the lottery. Now, keep in mind, I was like twenty two, and I thought I knew everything. I didn't know anything, <laughs> right? <laughs> so the funny thing is, and the reason why I say this is, looking back and say, oh well, I sold it for this. It's now it's worth this or whatever. I know where that car is, and I know a couple of the owners, and when I was traveling for business, I got to see one of them and meet them in the UK. What I do know is when I won the lottery and sold that $10,000 car for $17,000 and just thought it was the end of the world, the best thing ever, the last time that car got sold, four million dollars and so anytime i think i'm so smart i just think back about that yeah and it just kind of humbles me <laughs> yeah well but I, I like your previous perspective on that i mean that's said probably better definitely better than i've ever said it but better than i've ever heard it say you don't look back on the regrets you can't spend your life doing that you look back on the good times and you burning rubber beating the oh, tar man. out of that, that 275 best. you probably enjoyed that car more than anyone that's had it since because it's worth too much now so now it's a piece of art it's a collectible people are worried about the values and you just friggin enjoyed it there's not many people that can say that and and to your credit you threw the keys to me to your 275 gtb 10 years ago right I don't want to know how much it was worth. I didn't ask. Don't, we but, don't think about right. that stuff. <laughs> you threw me the keys. I threw you the keys to my car, and we just drove. And anybody that was worried about it as an investment wouldn't do that. Well, So but, you gave me an experience that I won't forget either. Well, I appreciate that, Doug, because I know you mean it, and you're a car guy just like me. We're just all a bunch of gearheads. The thing about it is, though, I mean, and granted, in these last decades whatever the value for a lot of these cars has really gone nuts and maybe it's because just values go up maybe it's the rarity maybe it's that more people are getting turned on to them it's a lot of things but at the end of the day what it comes down to is if you got the cars no closet queens, man. You got to drive them. They, they, it's, it's worse to leave a car in a garage and it's like, oh, I don't want to put any miles on it. It'll decrease the value. The hell with that. If you bought it, go drive it and have some fun. <laughs> to, to that effect, uh, Josh Passante asked a question. He said, he asked, I've been told that the more miles a Ferrari has, the better the car becomes. Collectors, however, usually find value in low mile examples. How do you enjoy the cars you collect while keeping the value of your collection intact? Or I guess my twist on that question would be, how do you balance those two and enjoy the cars and not care about value? Would well, be the two uh, sides of that coin. And, and you know what? That's, that's a very good question. Um, but I, I prefer, and it's just, it's a personal thing. Everybody's got their different take on it. But for me, um, I'm thinking if, if I got some cars in the garage, I bought them to drive them and enjoy them. I mean, I like to go look at them and all that stuff too, but there's nothing better than listening to that exhaust sound. Hell, I got a couple cars. I never even turned the radio on because I'd rather hear the <laughs> exhaust, you know? And basically one of our cars 
Or because they don't have a radio. Well, yeah, yeah, and most of them don't. You know, like the old GTS, it had 220 air. You want air conditioning, roll the windows down and go 20 <laughs> miles an hour. You know what I mean? But the thing is that, you know, we we would prefer to drive them and enjoy them. And as far as the mileage, that's kind of like one of those things. And I understand what the question was about collectors they'd rather have a car that's got like 200 miles on it than you know 22,000 miles but at the end of the day and i think that most people would know that it does more harm to a car to let it sit in a garage and even if it's a climate controlled garage that's fine but all the suspension everything i mean needs to be lubricated the gearbox the engine the pistons and everything the crank and it i personally think and i i'm no scientist but i personally think that it's better for the cars to drive them because things are being used when they're not used it's kind of like use it or lose it sort of a thing yeah 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 good good answer Celebrity Machines is a proud sponsor of SwitchCast. Celebrity Machines offers more than 250 different screen-accurate license plates as they appeared in movies and TV shows like Back to the Future, Ghostbusters, The Office, The Fast and the Furious, Breaking Bad, and so many more. Celebrity Machines also makes our Switch Cars dealer insert plates as well as our commemorative 2539 plates from the fastest cannonball run ever. Visit CelebrityMachines.com for more info and use promo code SWITCHCAST to save a whopping 25.39% at checkout. If you would like to join us, you can call in 216-294-4124 or post your comments wherever you're watching live for Dave or myself about Ferraris or the straw business we'll get into that <laughs> and uh we'll, we'll we'll answer your questions we got um a question from tiktok now uh opinion on sanctioned baja racing mostly score or bits races up in nevada i don't know can ferraris do that well i'll tell you what um I can't say that they can because I've never done it before. I usually try to find those long, straight, flat, paved highways to go hauling down, you know, when it's mm -hmm. safe and all that stuff. But, you know, I saw uh, an article in one of the European magazines that I get, and they showed a Rolls-Royce Corniche, 72, 75, whatever, that was four wheel drive and that thing almost <laughs> you almost needed a damn ladder to get into it and it did the paris dakar rally that's awesome so i mean if a roller can do it i guess a ferrari can do it if you're <laughs> you crazy could, enough yeah. to do it <laughs> well there's that guy that has uh the ferrari 308 uh brian's questionable decisions on instagram right and he took that he takes it everywhere ice trails and uh snowy I love mountains it. and stuff like that he's got big I don't know. I'm sounding studded, really technical. Studded, big, big wheels studded, and studded snow tires. tires. Yeah, <laughs> a little bit of a lift on it, I think. So yeah, he he drives that thing everywhere. Um, yep. So let's see. Well, at least we know someone that's got the courage to do that, right? Right. Right. I I'd do it if they were cheap enough. I mean, he got a deal on it. So, but no, I, I think that Baja racing is is awesome. I I'd love to do it if somebody wants to sponsor me. So. 
Uh, let's but, see. Uh, can you do it as fast as you did on the cannonball? That's the real question. Uh, <laughs> there's no cops, so maybe well, faster. Uh, uh, may- yeah, right. Exactly. Maybe it's the the off road. New York to L.A. record. Beam me up, Scotty. Dirt roads only. <laughs> right. <laughs> that would be awesome. Give me a give me a friggin' Subaru rally car, a trophy uh, trophy truck, and I'll I'll do that. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> uh, Steve Flutie. This is a this is a good question for you, David. He addressed it towards me, but he said, "What do you say when someone sees you in a sweet car and says, must be nice?" Well, first of all, I think sunglasses always help because then they don't really know who the heck they're looking at but you know what it at the same time all kidding aside you know i i the way i look at it is that if someone has a desire for a car or whatever the heck it is you know if you got the passion and you got the persistence to go out and work your butt off to earn the money to do it then you know what why should there be any remorse if you're driving that car, if you know that you're not some damn trust fund kid that you really actually went out and worked your backside off to earn the money. So from that standpoint, I prefer to play the low profile. But at the end of the day, if someone did that to me, I just keep on cruising, man, because it's like it wasn't given to me. I earned the damn thing. So why should you feel bad? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I, I look at it from a little bit of a different perspective at least from my value of cars. So you have cars that are worth seven figures. Mine are worth usually five figures. But I I get looks from people, or I guess one of the best examples is I drove a Corvette C5 to some barbecue, and someone's like, wow, you must be rich. You have a Corvette. And I said, no, I'm single. I don't have a house. I don't have this. I don't have that. But also, my Corvette's worth less than your brand-new Nissan or whatever it is exactly. it looks economical, but I did the cost analysis when I sold that thing. It cost me like three cents a mile to own. And so it, it's not all about the flashiness or even the dollar amount that goes into a car. It's about where your priorities are. Well, you know, Doug, that's a very good point that you make about doing the cost analysis, three cents a mile, because when when I have bought and sold cars and even my sons and they say, well, Hey, Pops, man, we like paid this much and we're selling it for this much. And I said, look, you've also got to factor in, aside from whatever you spent to, you know, service it, fix it up or whatever, how long did you own it? And how many miles did you put on it? Well, I've owned it for like three years and I put 10,000 miles on it. Okay, so fine. If you took $5,000 less for it than what you wanted, basically, and you put 10,000 miles on it, it cost you 50 cents a mile over three years, and you got the pleasure of being able to own and drive mm-hmm. the car. So these are things that, that you can't necessarily equate to dollars and cents right away, but the, the enjoyment that you get from the ownership certainly has to rate right up there with whatever the hell it costs. Yeah, yeah. You know? Do you think part of that, I guess, resentment, as we see it from some people, comes from a general perception that people who own these uh, are douchebags, for lack of a better word, or even maybe that's what they see on social media? Well, you know, that's a good question, Doug, and I'm sure that neither you or I, as long as we've been into cars, necessarily have the actual answer. But the way that I look at it is that if someone has a passion for something, whether it's cars or whether it's 
instruments or art or, or whatever the heck it is. And they make it up in their mind that somehow they want something like that to be their own that they can enjoy. Then what's the problem with going out and working your fanny off to be able to get it? And the way that I kind of think about it is that the people that would thumb their nose up at you thinking, oh, you, you know, you rich dude or whatever, they don't get it because number one, they don't really know the person that they're talking to. And number two, they don't know what was done to make it possible to be able right. to even get the damn car in the first place. Right. And frankly, Doug, man, we've known each other for a long, long time. We don't like to hang around people that have their nose up in the air. We just <laughs> rather hang around with a bunch of regular guys, like the guys that are here tonight and everything. And and basically what it comes down to that has that common bond of just loving cars. Yeah. Exactly. Speaking of the guys that, that are here tonight, Mike, I'm very sorry I did not go back and check to see if I had extra space for a Ferrari in the back warehouse. But uh, I'm sure we can fit it in. So if you need to unload it, you can leave it here. Um, if you want to just leave, leave the keys right here, there may be a few more miles on it when you come back to get it on Friday. Not, not that we'd try to boost it or anything, <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> I guess legally with the keys, we're not boosting it, right? <laughs> exactly. It's a storage fee. <laughs> All right. Charles from California is, is on hold here. Charles, uh, you're on with Doug and Dave. What's your question? Hi, Doug. Hi, Dave. Hi, Charles. Charles. How are we doing? Case Western's Formula team. Ah. Uh, yeah, the Formula SAE team. That was a long time ago. Yep. And I was wondering, given how as many of the reviews as I can find, I'll say that the six-cylinder uh, 981 Porsches uh, were superior to drive than the 718 four-cylinder Porsches mm -hmm. that are out now. Why have this the 981 Porsches continued to depreciate at what I think is pretty normal Porsche depreciation, uh, and the 781s have been hanging onto their value with no trouble at all? When did the 718s come out? 2016. Uh, I think part of that is that by the time they would have depreciated, because they did depreciate until we went into this craziness, and so their supply was limited, and they essentially, well, they reversed depreciation for everything, but more so for current models that hadn't reached their full production allotment yet. Okay. So people can't buy a new one and there's not enough used ones. So I, I think they will eventually, but um, they haven't because we, the, the world got turned upside down. Well, and Doug further to what you're saying and Charles, I mean, and you've probably seen it as well. I mean, you mentioned this issue with the seven eighteens and all that, but the point is, that, I mean, you see all the ads on TV? Hey, sell us your cards, two, three, four years old. And I've heard so many situations where people end up getting more money than they paid. And that's because of all this supply chain interruption, thanks to this COVID thing for the last couple of years. So yeah. I, I'm not sure that the numbers that, that are being seen now, I'm sure that they're real right now. But as far as the longevity of those numbers... 
I think that ultimately the market will impact that as soon as supply chains get fulfilled yes. and, and then the production starts rolling again. Yeah, I, I think you'll see a return to normalcy. But you could also, uh, I don't know the actual production numbers on 718s versus 987s, but obviously the 987s had a longer production run, much longer than the 718s did before their supply got cut off. But if you look at like yep. 997.2, 911, so 2009 to 12, versus the dot ones they made a lot less of them because the economy had fallen apart so now i mean it took a while but now the 997.2s are worth a lot more because of the scarcity thing also because of bore scoring and ims issues that's you know we can't ignore that fact but i think the same thing uh is a factor and is definitely a factor on the the four-cylinder porsches it's just like that's what people want because they want the newest and the latest and the greatest with luxury items like Porsches and, and uh, Bentleys and Mercedes. And if they can't get the newest ones, I mean, when have you ever seen a, a BMW or a Mercedes, especially an AMG, not drop like a rock ever? Right. You <laughs> never have until yeah. now when used AMGs are sticker plus. That doesn't happen. So we can't look at any depreciation curve on any car and say, well, that's you know, with any type of normalcy or try to try to really glean anything from it other than this market is royally screwed up. And and Doug, to further support what okay. you're saying, I was talking to a good friend who sells Benzes and he said every AMG they have, whether it's a car, an SUV or whatever, there's an automatic plus ten grand over the sticker because of the supply chain issues. And they sure as hell know that's not gonna last forever. But a lot of guys are doing it while they can do it. So, hey, Charles, between us, if I were you and you got a 718, sell that mother now. You'll go buy another <laughs> one next year for less money probably. <laughs> I, I have a 2015 Volkswagen Golf, so unfortunately. There you go. Does it have plaid yeah. seats? No. No, oh, boo, it's worthless. It's GTI, but it's got leather. Yeah, hey, listen, right. GTIs are um, badass cars I, for sure. <laughs> I do have a do have a story about uh, your off-road uh, Ferrari. Okay. Um, on the same lines, I won my my friend Christos McLean and I won the 2012 uh, Texas A&M Sports Car Club Rally Car Champion Rally Championship. Nice. With a 1999 C5 Corvette. How much air did you get? Uh, enough that we fractured the front subframe. Yes. Um, Awesome. I but think we're the, talking like Olympic air. <laughs> yeah. I think you didn't have enough uh, uh, suspension travel on that sucker. Uh, no. So in over the, the, the rallies and over the general abuse I put on it during graduate school at A&M, um, I ended up trading it in a few weeks after I started work at Fiat Chrysler um, with a rod knock on three cylinders only first, second, and fifth gear working, <laughs> um, a fractured subframe, a squealing uh, serpentine belt that I could never fix that luckily covered up the, the other mechanical horrendous noises, <laughs> um, the entire lower uh, rocker sills have been absolutely smashed to bits. So um, you did put a Baja it. sticker on it to disclose this to the, the new buyer, right? Uh, it was, so I traded in at the dealer, <laughs> Um, on a pretty much free 500 apart. And um, 
they I, I left the, the car with them, went to dinner, came back and they'd inspected it and gave me a trade-in offer. And I made sure that the papers that they they were taking the trade-in on said as is. Do and you have, Charles? Do you have the VIN on this car? Uh, actually, they'll take a Gmail search. <laughs> do me a favor. We we're not going to wait for it. But if you do, friggin' put it, it in the comments. Ethan will get it to me. I I want to run a Carfax on this. I bet <laughs> yeah, you it's he's been looking for a C five Charles. No, no, no. It's probably a clean to owner car. Uh, all right. Well, thank you, Charles, for being on. Thank you for the question. Yep. Thank you for the story on the Corvette. Uh, send that. Put that VIN in the comments. Uh, Ethan will get it over to hey, me. And, I want to know about. And this. by the way, Charles, one last thing. Just remember, <laughs> free advice is worth what it costs. <laughs> There you go. Thanks, Charles. Yep. Yep. Long time. Yep. Oh, man. Uh, If that's the same, Charles, uh, we were on the Formula SAE team, the inaugural Formula SAE team at Case uh, when they first started the program. And actually, I'm not even really up to speed on that program. Frank, 15. Shoot, that was more than 15 years ago. Golly. Uh, Yes. So... We are back. If you would like to join us like Charles did, you can call 216-294-4124 or post your questions for David or myself in the comment flow of wherever you are watching live. SwitchCast is brought to you by BoxCast. BoxCast is a live streaming company based in Cleveland, Ohio, and they serve broadcasters and viewers in more than 200 countries. Their founders launched BoxCast back in 2013 with one purpose, to make people part of the experience. If you're looking to live stream your podcast, church service, car show, sporting event, wedding, or even your cannonball attempt, BoxCast is an easy, flexible, live streaming platform for organizations. BoxCast is so easy, we are broadcasting this show live with our phone. Head over to switchcars.com slash BoxCast for your free trial. Let's talk about business. You make straws. Drinking straws, yes. Drinking straws. Does that job suck? Uh, well, look, we've been thinking about changing. It Usually our logo says, you know, the oldest American manufacturer of drinking straws. And someone came up with the bright idea not too long ago to say, hey, why don't you just get rid of that, get back, get into the 23rd century, and just say, hey, Everything we make sucks. sucks. <laughs> <laughs> but that's a little too obvious, right? I like it. No, no, but, no, no, but, no, I mean, I like it's it. true and it works. <laughs> yeah, I like it. I like it. Yeah. Um, and you also make balloon accessories. Yes. When you started making those accessories, uh, did your business blow up? Well, actually, it, it, it kind of did. No, you know, my grandfather started this business 80 years ago. And he started using material called cellophane film mm-hmm. that he got from a friend of his at DuPont. And his buddy uh, came to him and said, Harry, listen, if you can figure out something to do with this, I can give you all you need. We're paying to have it hauled away and burned. And they would make these four foot wide mill rolls and the ends were uneven. So they had to trim the ends to square them up. And they had all these these pieces left. Well, he gave it to my grandpa. My grandpa figured out a way to take it and twist it and heat it and make it into a solid stick. And he started making child-safe sucker sticks 
back in oh, the early 1940s. And then he started making them a little longer, and they were all of a sudden drinksters. And then they made them a little bit longer yet, and all of a sudden they were sticks to hold latex or rubber balloons, as they called them back then. And so that's how we kind of got started in the balloon accessory business from hmm. making balloon sticks out of cellophane film that was otherwise going to be burned. <laughs> it's wow. Kind of, kind of crazy. <laughs> so how did you get involved in the business? Well, I was going into my senior year of high school and I entered into a, a DCT program and that was a, a, a special program that if I had a job, I could get out of school at 11 o'clock in the morning. So I'm thinking, hey, I'll scrub toilets if I can get out of school at 11 on my senior year. So my grandpa calls me after I got done doing the slave labor for my dad at Montrose Swim Club and earning that money to buy that Porsche. And he said, hey, David, I hear you need a job. And I said, yeah. And he goes, well, I'll give you a job. And I go, what am I going to be doing? He goes, you're going to be making straws and swizzle sticks. And I knew what my grandpa did, but I'm like, sure, man, I'll, I'll do anything, you know. And so I started working for him, and that was, oh, my God, that was 50 years ago. And basically, wow. it just, you know, I just did it as a job to earn some money and, you know, put some gas in my car, take a girl out and, you know, buy some beers when I could or whatever. And little did I know, it turned into a lifelong pursuit. yeah. yeah. <laughs> You took a really good girl out for a long time. Yeah, right. Bought a lot of beers. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Still can't put gas in your car. Somehow you're always running out. <laughs> hey, look, we're having a little supply shortage right now, okay? Come on, back off. You're always having a gas supply shortage. We go on a drive. We, yeah, right. We're supposed to gas up. We, we get two miles in. Dave well, Nelson's going to stop what? for gas. I mean, I'm probably the biggest knucklehead in the world because these guys all have it on me, and they just won't give it up. They're going, hey, Nelson. You idiot. Why don't you put some gas in that thing? <laughs> oh, well. <laughs> uh, what is the hardest lesson you've had to learn in business? Mm, that's a good question. Um, I think not a specific time, but the best lesson that I learned, which was also kind of the hardest, is, you know, back in those days... You know, my grandfather said, hey, David, look, when you make a deal with someone, you look them square in the eyes and you give them a firm handshake. And when you make that deal, you make sure you do the deal. And even if you find out it's not right before you're done, he said, hey, look, there's two things. Number one, don't give up your word because your word is your bond for anything. And you always want to be honest about that. And the second thing is, if you realize it wasn't the right decision, don't make the same decision next time. And that was good advice that, that I always subscribe to and still do in these days because at the end of the day, you know, you, you get into a deal with someone, you got to sign a 20-page contract and all this other nonsense and have 39 attorneys look at it. And the old days, the way was, you look them square in the eye and you shake your hand, shake their hand and you do the deal. Now, yeah. I mean, not to be naive, maybe people don't do it that way anymore, but the thing is 
I was always told, be honest, because you'll get old enough one of these days you won't remember what the hell you said unless you tell the <laughs> truth in the first place. <laughs> well, and I was g- going to go to this, but one of the things you told me and, and something that stuck with me was along that line, you said, you expanded on that, and you said, if you're going to make a deal, make sure you count the cost and figure out what you're committing to beforehand, before you give your word, not that, you know, that if you don't, that gives you an excuse to get out of it, but so you aren't tempted to get out of it, because if you don't count the cost before you sit down and shake that person's then hand. Then that's on my side. Right. But you know? that's when you get all up and, and you know, that's when you're tempted to go, oh, maybe I can get out of this deal. But if, if you count the cost beforehand, then you never have to think about whether or not you're going to honor a deal. Well, Doug, you're right. And, and the thing is that, I mean, the one key factor of the whole thing is integrity. And, you know, with integrity... Maybe you go to the school of hard knocks when you realize, oh, hell, I didn't think about all this stuff. But the thing is that if you keep your word, I believe that that value is greater than whatever it costs you because you know one thing's for sure. You're not going to make the same mistake right. twice unless you're just a knucklehead. You know? Right, right. I have a set of headers from a Porsche on my wall that remind me of that. It was... Uh, I flippantly said yeah sure no problem we'll take care of that and four or five thousand dollars later yeah right (laughs) on a car that i made four or five thousand bucks you know it it uh, yeah i I kept those headers to remind me well and you know what buddy what it ends up doing is it 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 keeps humility within us when everything's going great we think we're doing so well and we're so damn smart and then you look at those headers or I think about that GTB for seventeen thousand that sold for four million, and all of a sudden I realize, you know what? I'm a knucklehead too, you know. Yeah. And it just kind of keeps you grounded, <laughs> right? You had the privilege of being, I guess, mentored by your grandfather in business, and and my dad, and your dad, and I don't. Um, that is a unique privilege and an incredible advantage, and I had. My dad was a great mentor and he was very good at business. But when I went into the car business, I started from scratch. And that was on me. That was stupid for me not to go to somebody and say, I want to do this. I'm going to be an understudy. Let me learn the ropes and then go out on my own. I was arrogant enough that I thought I could just do it. And somehow or another, it worked out. But um, I learned a lot of lessons along the way. And there's a saying that smart people learn from their mistakes and wise people learn from others. And my response to that is always, I'm a very smart person. And nobody ever gets it. Yeah, right. No, listen, I'm with you on that one, brother, for sure. And, you know, the other thing is, too, and you mentioned about your dad, and, and you started this great business that's, you know, a really great business. You got great cars. You do good business. You're honest and all that. When, and just for a second, going back to that old Ferrari that I bought, the first one for fifty eight hundred bucks whatever my dad said well what's this thing worth and i go i don't know and he goes now come on what's it worth and i go i don't know twenty five thirty thousand dollars this is like almost 10 years later and he goes well hell if i were you i'd sell it and i go dad i'd rather have the car than a pile of money 
And my dad looked at me. And I'm only telling you this because he isn't the one you wanted to advise you. My dad said, you know what cars are to me, David? And I said, no, what, Dad? And he goes, a way to get from point A to point B, period. And other than that, I could care less. Yeah. And, and, and so, like, they thought I was adopted because I was at the total end of the other spectrum from where my dad thought about cars. And, and the thing is, like you did, we just kind of learned it on our own because we ended up having the passion for seeing all these great motorized vehicles. Right. right. Yeah. And, and to, to reflect on that, it wasn't that I, I didn't want my dad advising me. He was capable of it and he was an incredible father. I, I think it was just me being arrogant in the sense of, I went out and just started on my own. I've well, always, we, we, I've always been independent like that. It was the old uh, Mark Twain saying when I was when I was 18. I thought my dad was an idiot. When I turned 23, I was amazed to find out how much he had learned in five, learned five yeah, years. Well, that's right because when we were 20, we were 10 foot tall and bulletproof, and we knew everything, right. and we didn't know shit. To, excuse my French, <laughs> to tell you the truth. <laughs> oh man. <laughs> the gas we're backtracking a little bit because uh <laughs> you already answered that I, I think you already answered this but the reason i asked you what you do for a living um it, it's I, I remember in ferrari on ferrari chat the ferrari forum when i was younger people would come on and would <laughs> ask the guys like what do you do for a living and they all used to get their panties in a wad about that question because it was offensive and you know you should never ask a guy that and you know of course now there's this tiktok superstar that that's all he does he goes up with a phone to people and what did you do to afford this car and people love it he's got like six million followers or seriously something. seriously that's all he does he just goes up to people and hey how did you get the you know what do you do for a living and it's like inspirational and so it's an odd question, I think, because people people think that whatever the answer is, is the recipe to, well, if he has Ferraris and he's in this business, then I can get there too. And that's not necessarily the answer because there's people in real estate that make millions. There's people in real estate that have lost millions. And there's people in real estate that struggle along and barely make ends meet and eke out a fine living. So it's it's not about the particular thing you do right i, I mean you make straws right and nobody would ever expect that answer well exactly but you know what i think it comes down to some fundamental things that that are part of the foundation of individuals and in this case i think about it is number one if you have a dream and you're really serious about it you got to be persistent as can be to make it happen and and along with that i mean you can't be everything to everyone so you got to stick to what you know and the old cliche you got to crawl before you walk and walk before you run and all that so the point is i mean i've been doing this 50 years i mean it's like i'm wondering where the hell 50 years went but at the end of the day what it comes down to is if you stick to it and don't just try to jump around from one thing to the next thing and you're persistent enough and you got the passion enough and whatever it is that you're striving for, anything is truly possible. 
if you don't give up. Yeah. And you don't try to make it happen tomorrow because sometimes tomorrow is 10 or 20 years later, you know? Yeah. So you got to have a little bit of patience with all that stuff too. <laughs> right. Right. Absolutely. All right. The nuts for sticks question of the week. This is brought to you by nutsforsticks.com. You can go there and get stickers, t-shirts, all sorts of fun merchandise. If you enter code SWITCHCAST, you'll get 10% off your merchandise order. We've got Nuts for Sticks stickers and Switch Cars stickers and shirts like that and other shirts. So the, the question of the week will get their pick of a t-shirt from the Nuts for Sticks merchandise store. The question is from Tyler Dijon. I'm six foot five inches tall. Is there a Ferrari that won't make me feel the way the nutty professor did in the Dodge Viper? Uh, well, if you would allow me, Doug, yeah. I would be happy to just throw out some free advice, which, like I said before, is worth nothing. Okay. Um, I think he should probably get a convertible. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that pretty much covers the whole spectrum from the easiest way to get in the lowest amount to you won the lottery, spend a zillion bucks. You right, know what I mean? Right. But uh, as long as your head clears the roof, <laughs> I mean, in this case, there is no roof, you probably fit. There you go. Like uh, uh, Tom Selleck in the Ferrari 308. <laughs> yeah, right. Just keep the Take roof the off. Take the roof off, man. He was tall. He was tall. <laughs> Boy, aren't we a couple of rocket scientists? They're going, and we're listening. Thank God they're not paying for this. You know what I mean? <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. Maybe one of those Nissan Figaros back there. I, I just open the sunroof That's and Italian, your head right? sticks out. You just got to wear some goggles for the bugs. <laughs> bring bring a toothbrush. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. Or just keep your mouth shut. You know, something you and I obviously can't do. The Ferrari Monza. That doesn't even... No windshield, no top. There just, you go. There you go. Perfect for a six-foot-five-inch person. I think you got to win the lottery for that one, though. Yeah, just uh, don't roll it. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> aren't, aren't we the smart ones? Do you, I ever, hope these do you have guys, a real answer? I hope these guys grow up smarter than us. <laughs> uh, what's the old saying? You're a smartass? Do you know the response to that? Yeah, better than being a dumbass. There you right? go. There you go. All right. Um... <laughs> From Doug Huffnagel, can you ask, I can or you can, can you ask Dave his overall impression of the Testarossa power handling slash comfort? Well, I'll tell you what. Um, personally, I, I've i got a number of friends that have owned Testarossas and have really, truly enjoyed them. For me, I've always been kind of stuck in the old days with the 60s Ferraris, the 275s, 330s, 250s, because they were all five or 6,000 bucks back then. Of course, it's a different day now, and there's too damn many zeros attached to them. But for me, I've never owned a Testarossa, but for the people that I know that I've that have owned them, and I got two or three close friends around here that have had them, they just absolutely love them. Mm -hmm. And I think that it's, it's one hell of a car, and it's got the power and the performance, and it's got a pretty snazzy look. And I, I mean, honestly, unless you're talking about one of the last ones that they made, I think that oh, you know the F512M. Yeah, the 512Ms. Yep. The early ones are. I mean, if you can call it affordable, I don't even know if that's valid. But the thing is that you don't have to pay a zillion dollars for one, and sure. you get a hell of a lot of 
pleasure and drivability out of the things. And, you know, the thing is, I understand that the air conditioners in the Testarosas are a little bit better than the older air conditioners where it was like someone blowing over an than, ice cube. Than the 220 air conditioner. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. Pretty much. Slightly you, better. You got Slightly it, Slightly better. <laughs> yeah. I, I love the look of the Testarosas. A lot of people who haven't driven them say that they drive like trucks. Um, they drive pretty well. I mean, there's no 80s car that really drives amazingly well it's it's the technology of the age well and i'll tell you something and i know that for the the these hot shot ferrari guys out there they probably you know send me to siberia or something but i've actually put a power steering unit on a couple of the cars that i have from the 60s that basically doesn't require drilling holes and all that because some of these cars are so heavy on the front end. And I think in the case of the Testarossa, it's just a heavier car to begin with. Mm -hmm. But the thing is, with one of these easy power steering units that are made in Holland, um, and and they work great, and they make them for everything from 250s to Testarossas and everything, it really makes it a lot more pleasurable to be able to drive them, especially if you're trying to move them around in a driveway where you feel like you just went to the gym after you turned the wheel a couple of times, you <laughs> yeah. know? Yeah, well, especially with the small wheels that are angled yeah, up here. Right, so you, exactly. you got to do this bus thing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> all right, so you have a, you have a Ferrari 212 Inter, yes. right? Yes. Yes. That you've had for a long, long time, and it's been through at least one restoration. You sent it back from to Ferrari. Um, you couldn't find the engine for it. It had a, a, the wrong engine, right. which Marcel Massini, a Ferrari historian, found. Him and Paul, Paul Russell actually found, found it. in some guy's Maserati <laughs> well, it, or it, Alpha. The, the thing is, we bought this car. I bought this car back in the mid to late 80s. And, and, you know, I was young and dumb then. I thought, man, I'm just going to make it like brand new. Well, it was probably 88. So more or less it's 34 years ago. Mm -hmm. And had I known then what I know now, I probably wouldn't have done it, but I'm glad that I did. But at the end of the day, it was a piece of junk. I mean, the body, the front fender was off of it. It had no engine, no transmission. I mean, it, it was just a mess. And I spent the last 30 years finding all the bits and pieces, and we restored it back. I sent it to Italy to my friends at Bacchelli and Via in 1989. My wife was pregnant with our youngest son, Chase. When his older brother, Evan, and I went to pick the car up, Chase was 10 years old. They have two speeds in Italy. It's called slow and slower. And so it like took 10 years, right? So, Which is amazing because they make such fast cars. Yeah, right. Exactly. They're so, really in a hurry to get to their siesta. Bring the car back. And it was at a friend's garage in Switzerland before we shipped it over. And so this guy, Marcel Massini, who I told him I wanted to kill him, but you know now we're friends and everything. <laughs> but the thing is, he went in, and my buddy Peter Rao called me. He goes, David, are you sitting down? And I said, No, why? 
is the car okay? Oh yeah, the car's okay, but you're not going to be okay. And I go, what's up? And he goes, well, Marcel was here and he said, this car is really bad. It was poorly restored, non-original, blah, 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 blah. So fast forward a bunch of years, I took it back to Italy and had them make it right. And so this was in 2012 and we got it back in 2014. We took it to Amelia Island and won second place. And Bobby Ray Hall actually judged the car, an Ohio mm -hmm. boy, you know, so that was awesome. And so Marcel was there with his wife and my wife Susie and I were there and Earl and his friend Lisa were there. And so Marcel's like, well, listen, man, we got a dinner appointment. I got to leave. And so he walks away and he gets about 20 yards away and he turns around and goes, hey, David, did I tell you I found your original engine? And I'm like, I'm freaked out. I go, don't be messing with me. He goes, no, really. I went running up to him and I go, Marcel, look, you're married and I'm married. But I want to give you a big hug and a kiss. I've been looking for that damn thing for 20 years. The truth is. This guy went to Paul Russell's for an October, you know, hot dog hamburger thing on a Saturday, Ferraris and all this. So he's talking to Paul Russell, the gentleman who I came to. He's now my new best friend, Roger Demler. He says to Paul Russell, he goes, Paul Russell goes, well, hey, do you have a Ferrari? He goes, oh, yeah, I've got a Ferrari. I've been thinking about restoring. He goes, what is it? He goes, oh, it's a 1950-195 Inter. And ours is a 51-212 Inter. So Paul Russell said, well, you know, I mean, you're probably talking over half a million bucks to restore the thing. And he goes, yeah, I know. And he goes, well, does it have the original engine? And he goes, nah, it doesn't. It's got another engine, but it's the right type. And he goes, oh, really? What's the serial number on the engine? He goes, because this is the, the conversations Ferrari oh, people oh, yeah, have at yeah, parties. Oh, What's yeah, the right. serial exactly. number we're, on we're your engine? A, we're all a bunch of duds. Let's just yeah. face it. You Don't know? ever try to come to one so, of our parties. So You'll be bored dude, out of your mind. Roger goes, uh, it's 0145E. And Paul Russell goes, could you repeat that again? He goes, yeah, 0145E. And he goes, excuse me a minute. He runs in his office. He calls Marcel and he goes, Marcel. I think I found David's engine. And so this is what Marcel told me at Amelia Island. He held it for like months and then tells me at Amelia Island, I finally get a hold of this guy. I call him. I go, uh, Mr. Demler, uh, this is David Nelson. Oh, really? Uh, what's up? I said, we've got something in common that you don't even have a clue about. But if you'll give me a few minutes, I'll tell you. So that's where it all started. Four years later, we had our engine back. Oh, my gosh. I mean, you can't make this stuff up. It was just crazy as can be. It was really better than finding a needle in a haystack because the engine had been out of the car for 60 years, and I was told that it had been destroyed. And, in That's fact, awesome. it wasn't. All right, so question for you. And you don't have to answer this if you don't want to because I know it's a little bit political the way everything Italian is. But your car went back to Ferrari, restored, and got... Is it classic or classic hay? Well, it, you know, it's... But it got it, certified it, well, it's with a non-original engine. Actually, well, the thing is, it didn't get certified. We started that process okay. in 2014 when it was over there getting restored. And Marcel flew down from Switzerland, and he had a list of like 20 items with pictures. Hey, it's got to be like this and the body and this and that and everything. So they got everything right. And the thing is... The process was started then, and 
basically we got a laundry list about as long as my arm about things that weren't correct and we had to change and we've spent the last two years getting the pieces parts and changing and everything and which i find it hilarious by the way so marcel massini is a ferrari historian who basically bought all of ferrari's records back when they didn't want them anymore. Well, when they were building the new plant, right. when Montezemolo yeah. was so there. So he's got all their original records, and then Ferrari tried to buy them back from him, and he said, uh-uh, no friggin' way. So he knows more about the old Ferraris than Ferrari does. Well, and he, he really is the greatest historian because he's really got a passion for these cars, and he's just smart as hell. He really yeah. is. And he, he's been there through the whole thing back, you know, from the 60s and, and on to, to modern times. But the thing is, if it wasn't for him to help, you know, guide our friends at Pichelli and Via in in Modena to to restore it the right way, and then basically he and Paul Russell finding the engine and us getting that back, it wouldn't be possible. And basically, we've done everything for Classic A, and I don't know, I don't want to jinx it, but I think maybe it might be finalized in march of 2022 oh, okay. so you're still waiting on this oh yeah okay yeah wow that that is a long process it's called the never-ending story <laughs> and you know what I, one last thing that i'll say well, about they can the old keep two- billing you <laughs> well yeah right exactly send more money right no and one thing that i'll say is that when when my sons evan and chase and i were fortunate enough to take the 212 to pebble beach And, you know, we got all dressed up and we drive in. It's like six in the morning or whatever. And we're going to show our car on the field. And that was the year that they had the 100th anniversary for Bentley. So we were really lucky to get in because they didn't have any space. But we asked a few favors, whatever. Anyways, we got there. And when we drove in and we got it on the field and we all got out of the car, mind you, this is a two-seater and there's like three adults in the car. So you can kind of do the math on that one. And, you know, the boys, my son Chase looked at me and he goes, hey, Dad, we won. I go, Chase, dude, it's like 6.15. What are you talking about? He goes, Dad, think about it. 30 years ago, you bought this out of a junkyard in L.A. And 30 years later, it's on Pebble Beach's lawn. And I said, you know what? You're exactly right. That's a hell of a good attitude. And, you know, the thing is, we basically, through the help of a lot of people, many who have been mentioned, brought it back from the dead. And now it's exactly like it was when it was made in 1951. One of the first 100 Ferraris ever built. That's amazing. That's awesome. So fast forwarding, one of the first 100 Ferraris ever built. And now you have some newer Ferraris. You have an amazing Pearl White, I shouldn't use it, I'm sorry, it's a Bianco Avis, uh, 599 GTO with a, the burgundy carbon fiber. Oh, gosh, it's the best spec ever. Uh, but you have a, a 488 <laughs> well, listen, Pista I, as well. I, I'd just like to talk about that GTO for a minute. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, the, the question was, and we'll go back to the GTO, but from the old Ferraris to the new Ferraris, there is somewhat of a hierarchy. There's some games you have to play uh what is it you have to play to pay uh in the new ferrari world which is why jay leno says he will never own a ferrari and i get that (laughs) 
and you have a couple you've been able you've been fortunate enough to get i think you have a 488 pista is that right or was it a 450 yeah. a speciality a prerta you have you have a couple yeah. pretty hard to get new ones right talk to us about how you get there how, well <laughs> look know? here the the biggest thing for me is that i always had five speeds that had a clutch yep and i never wanted to not have a clutch, something for my left leg to do when we're driving down the road. Mm -hmm. And it finally got to the point, one of my boys said, Dad, you got to get with the program, man. This ain't the 60s anymore. <laughs> you know, you got to try one of these paddle shifters. So I started looking at GTOs, yep. and I found this one up at Miller Motor Cars, a great and honest Ferrari dealer in Greenwich, Connecticut. And they had this car, and I called them in November, I don't know, six or seven years ago, and they go, you know, we've had this thing sitting on the floor since January, and nobody's wanted it. We've been lowering and lowering and lowering the price and everything. That's a great way to start out negotiations. Uh, oh, <laughs> no, but I mean, they're just honest guys. And so the thing is, the boy said, hey, Pops, look you got to get with the program and try one of these F1 shifters. And I tried that one in that uh, uh, challenge in the Stradale that, yep. that you had a long time ago. And it was pretty wild and crazy, you know. So we went up to see the GTO and the price was, I mean, down in the dumpers. You know, new cars cost more than this did then. Yep. And I'll tell you what, I drove that car. And it scared the hell out of me. I mean, that is one of the most badass cars we have. I mean, you really have to warm those tires up when you take it out because otherwise you're driving on slicks, you know what I mm -hmm. mean? And I'll tell you what, that's one of our favorite cars. It's it's one of mine, and I'm not, I, I'm like you, I'm a stick shift guy. But that car, not only is the GTO incredibly special, but, man, that spec is otherworldly i'll i'll post some photos on instagram tomorrow for you guys watching uh, and if, and you if know you'll what, allow me it is it is so sick and you know what our good friend john ash said and because he's been dealing in the cars forever and he's a ferrari guy as well they made 599 of these gtos in 2011 okay which was the last year of the 599 and there were only 125 that came to America and I've seen them with some friends of mine overseas and John said David forget it if you don't buy a USA spec car it'll cost you a fortune to try yep. to get it EPA and DOT so I'm really glad that we got the one we have because it was really a tailor-made car before they had yeah. it all red carbon and all that other amazing. stuff you know it, it's amazing. pretty cool amazing yeah so you bought the 599 GTO. You got bit by the paddle shift bug. And you buy some new cars. And you managed to get some pretty special limited edition new cars. How did you manage that? Working my butt off. <laughs> no, I mean, you mean working working the system, working your con connections? As Earl says, sell more straws. <laughs> right. Okay. So, all right. <laughs> I mean, come on. If you really want the truth, I didn't win the lottery. No, 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 no. I'm not talking about the money aspect of it. I'm talking about the, like, 
you no matter how much money you have, you can't walk into a Ferrari dealer and say, I want a new 488 Pista. They'll go, great, get way back of the line. How did you manage to get to the, you know, get in okay. Ferrari's graces well, enough that here, so they here, let you buy those? I get it. Here's the short story. So Chase and I were out in L.A. calling on customers in the balloon accessory business. Yep. And we got done early, and we're on Wilshire Boulevard. We went back to the hotel. I put on my Hawaiian shirt on, a pair of shorts and flip-flops. Chase got dressed down. We took our suits and stuff off. So we're driving down the street. We see the Peterson Museum, and right next to it is Ferrari, Beverly Hills. So I do the bat turn. We go and park at the hotel next door and walk in, and we see this dude in there who looks like he just got off of Gentleman's Quarterly Italy style, right, <laughs> with the bow tie and the vest and everything. And we come walking in like we just got off Venice Beach, a couple of beach bumps, and he goes, hey, you uh, here to buy a Ferrari today? And I go, yeah, but you know what? I just realized I forgot my wallet. Ha, ha, ha. So we start talking. This guy, Stefano, ended up becoming a really good friend of ours. And as it turned out, he said, well, like, do you have a Ferrari? And I showed him a picture of the old 212. And I said, and a dear friend of mine, Marco Righi, has helped us get this car re-restored to original factory. He goes, you know Marco? Marco and I set up Classic five years ago. We started it for the for for the for Ferrari. And so long story short, we got to be good friends. If we go out there on business, we'd get together with Stefano and and all this. Well, so this one time I said, hey, and I had never, ever bought a new car, let alone a Ferrari. I said, hey, is there any way you could get us a Special Aperta? And he goes, <laughs> yeah, what are you kidding, man? Dude, th those allocations were taken like five years ago or whatever, you know? Yeah. And so. The and then you said, I know Doug Tabbitt. Well, yeah, exactly. And they go, <laughs> oh, well, yes, Mr. Nelson, we've got one for you, <laughs> but it's a Porsche. Anyways, so the thing is. So we kind of go on, and I asked everybody I knew around the world, from Italy to wherever. And the long story short, Stefano calls me one day at the shop, and he goes, David, look, I want you to send me a list. I want all the Ferraris you have, the year, the model, anything special about them. And I go, why? And he goes, just do it. And so I send it to him. And this is like in January. I don't hear anything from him. Along about March, I call him and I go, hey, Stefano, look, I really appreciate kind of where you're trying to go to show that, you know, even though I'm a scrapper and bought all used cars and fixed them up, whatever, that it's probably over. He goes, David, it's over when I say it's over. And he hung up, slammed down the <laughs> phone on me and I thought... Oh, shit, I pissed off an Italian, man. Luca Brazzi's coming after me now, you know what I mean? So the funny thing is, a month later, he calls the shop, and he goes, Hey, David, you sitting down? I go, No, should I? He goes, Oh, yeah. He said, The last time somebody asked you that, they were telling you how bad your 212 was. <laughs> yeah, so. right. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> so the thing is, he says, David, I got you an allocation for a special aperta. 
Now, the crazy thing is, and so obviously went ahead and we, the boys and I went to California. We specced it all out and everything. And we took delivery to factory in December of, of 2015, I think it was, and, or 2016. And the bottom line is that um, Chase went on Ferrari Chat and saw this dude posted something. He goes, well, from what I've been able to find out, this is the last serial number for the last Special Aperta that they ever made of the 599 or whatever. And believe it or not, our serial number was right there at like the same time. So it's one of the last ones that was made. And it was like, God, I don't even believe this is happening. Now we just got to figure out how the hell we're going to pay for this mess. (laughs) (laughs) Sell more straws. Sell more straws, right? Sell more straws. (laughs) Uh, All right, we got the VIN for that Corvette that was Okay, let's check it out. Doug, is this your next new car? No, but somebody asked, why is Ed Bolian looking for a a Corvette? Because he loves buying Make make sure it's got the Baja sticker. Make sure it's got the Baja sticker. All right. All right, come on. No accidents or damage reported to Carfax. Clean Carfax. Look at that, 170,000 miles. That is... Now, that's someone that uses their car, so forget those collectors that are worried about high mileage, right? I'd be more worried about Baja, to tell you the truth. (laughs) Oh, man, that's fantastic. Yeah, the Carfax doesn't have an entry for launched off of a sand dune (laughs) no no what what you really need to be worried about is was it three feet of air beyond underneath all four wheels or four feet of air oh man eduardo asked you he said tell the old man to talk about gto number 3589 oh boy that you know eduardo that is a story that warms my heart and it it probably is one of those ones where i'm going to have to do the real short story but there was a guy that had a company called motor cars masculine up in north royalton ohio and when i was a kid i saw an ad in the plain dealer the the cleveland newspaper that said you could rent a ferrari 275 gtb a 250 gto a 300 sl gullwing uh, uh, a, uh, a De Tommaso Mangusta, oh, uh, Maserati 3500 GT, uh, and, and a host of other cars for like anywhere from 13 to $30 a day. And this was Motor Cars Masculine. I hate the world that I live in. So, so the Gosh. thing is, this dude bought all these cars because he loved them. And he lived kind of like on a farm, and he had a big barn and everything, and he stored all these cars in the barn. But he left the GTO out on a trailer. I mean, literally for probably 20 or 30 years. And this car had been driven by Innes Ireland, and it was at the Bahama Speed Weeks. I mean, the car is a very famous car it didn't win Le Mans or anything like that but it was raced extensively and very successful and raced by some really great period drivers and the dude left the car out on the trailer 
So we were doing a road rally with a bunch of friends, and we had lunch up by a, a national park in Cleveland, up near where there was, and I where they were, and I had um, my 275 GTS, and my wife and I and our friend John. I said, "Well, shit, we're right by Joe Cortan's place. Why don't we go check out the GTO?" Well, we had heard all the stories. The dude comes to the door with a shotgun and and was like just. He scared the shit out of everybody because he didn't want anyone to come around. Long story short is, I said, well, the hell with it. And so we're driving up. My wife's sitting there on the center console, and Uncle John's bent over because he thinks that he's going to be aiming for him or something (laughs) like that. I go, John, you're such a wuss. Anyways, I get out of the car. I go up to the door. I knock on the door. I said, "Uh, may I speak to Mr. Cortan? And so when he came to the door, he said, "Uh, yeah, yeah. what do you want? I said, Mr. Cortan, my name's David Nelson. I'm just really curious about one thing. And he goes, oh, you want to talk about the GTO? I go, no. I said, aren't you the guy that started Motor Cars Masculine about 20 years ago? And he goes, or 10 years ago, he goes, yeah. And all of a sudden he got a big smile on his face. And all of a sudden, we were good friends. And he's, I said, listen, I hate to bother you on a Sunday or Saturday, whatever it was. He goes, well, listen, you can come see me anytime. Here's my phone number. You call me and we'll get together. We spent the next two years getting together. And, you know, and admittedly, I was trying to buy the car. And at the very end of the day, to make a real long story short, we're sitting at Chi-Chi's at Rockside Drive, and he'd call me, and I had a son that was four years old and one that was just born. He was a year old. And I'm sitting up there with Joe, and he goes, and we're in the booth in the back in the corner in the dark in the whole bed, and he goes, David, do you think I'm crazy? And I said, Joe, no, I don't think you're crazy, but I'll tell you what, the rest of the world does. Why the hell would you leave that GTO sitting on a trailer for 20 years? And the only reason I can say this now on this podcast, Doug, is because my dear friend Joe Cortan died about five or six years ago. But the short story is this. Joe said to me, David, everyone thinks I'm crazy because of that damn car. And he said, and I'll tell you what, there was a snowstorm about 15 years ago, and my little son went out of the house and he went to look at the cars in the barn and he fell in the window well that was full of snow and broke his neck, suffocated and died. And he said, I have never, ever been able to forgive myself because if I didn't have these damn cars, my son would still be alive. And I say this with a very humble heart because it's absolutely true. And I said, well, Joe, listen, what did your son think? And he goes, he always wanted to go to Notre Dame. And I said, well, Joe, tell you what, let's work out a deal. You sell the car, we'll give an annuity to Notre Dame. You make a memorial for your son. And to this day, that's there. Fast forward six or eight years. I'm at the car show at Stan Hewitt with the old 212. This kid comes up to me, throws his arms around me. And I'm like, what the heck's going on here? And he looks at me and he goes, David, you don't remember me, do you? And I go, no. And he goes, I'm Joe Cortan's son. He said, I just wanted to thank you 
for helping my dad. He got rid of his demons because he blamed himself for my little brother's death. And him and his wife, my mom, have been traveling the world ever since then, and he got his life back thanks to you. And you know what? All of a sudden, as far as I was concerned, that meant a hell of a lot more to me than a GTO or all the money in the world. And that's the short story. Sad but true. I don't know how to transition from that. <laughs> well, and so look, I'm, I'm sorry, but th this all no, transpired over two and a half years, so I did it in 10 minutes or whatever, you know, but it, it was very touching for me as well, and it yeah. still is today. Yeah. That's, that's amazing. Well, God bless Joe, and God bless his son. Yeah. Cheers to that. All right. Uh... <laughs> Uh, on that note you know any good jokes <laughs> <laughs> not any good ones Devin how about you <laughs> Devin uh, I have your question here so uh, let's do that and then I think we're gonna wrap up because that was a that's a good note to to wrap up on it's positive um, that's an in incredible story um, Devin you want to come up to the mic and just ask your question <laughs> So that's, an, that's an incredible story, David. Very, very incredible story. Um, Thanks, Devin. It's kind of brought all of us to tears. I think actually at that point, I think Doug can safely say that one too. <laughs> um, but I think looking at looking at everything and kind of make turning it to a more positive note, um, obviously in the time that I've known you, you've had quite a fair bit of cars and quite a very big collection of cars. Um, but we've all had that one. What would be the one car that you sold that you wish you could get back? And what's pro well, probably the favorite car, Ferrari, and then favorite car, too? The 275 GTBC for $9,850, I'd give him 20 grand today. <laughs> but it'd just be too far short of $4 million for some damn reason. <laughs> yeah. uh, I had a Jaguar E-Type recently that I looked through the paperwork, and 30 years prior, it had been owned by a friend of mine. And it, I called Whoa. him up and I said, hey, I found your name on the paperwork. Like, is, is this the same same guy? And he's like, yeah, that was mine. And he told me the story. He had sold it to a guy for 18 grand. And as soon as he sold it, this was back in the 80s, he sold it. His wife said, why'd you sell my car? So he called the guy up and tried to get it back. And he wouldn't sell it back to him. And he said, well, my wife's passed away, but, you know, I'd I'd still love to have the car back. I'll, I'll give you what I sold it to him for. And I said, deal, if you pay me in, in today's money. <laughs> you go, oh, you, really? You right. want a little escalation clause in there or what? Yeah. <laughs> I said, 18 grand in 1980 is about what I'm asking for the car now. So, sure. Well, he then was, you should have said, all right, look, I'll tell you what. I'm going to do this old motor cars masculine thing for $30 a day. You can rent it. <laughs> That's great. Uh, I think I do have one more question for you. Uh, I, I want to know this. You're very old school. One, you care about your word and you expect other people to honor theirs. Two, you're not the guy to leave an online review. No. But I know that you've dealt with some real shady people and some real oh, yeah. awesome people. 
in a nutshell, what is one, the best purchasing experience you've had on a car to the worst? Well, I'll say the best one, and this is aside from our friends at the dealership that were, where we got the special and all that. When, when we bought that 599 GTO, I was getting on a plane for Timbuktu for work, and I had a $10,000 check, and my buddy John Ash was negotiating a deal because he knew the dealer up in Greenwich, Connecticut, and he goes, yeah, David, well, here's the price. And I was getting on a plane to, in Chicago to, you know, Asia. And I said, okay, great. So I called Chase and I said, Chase, send Alex the deposit. We're buying the GTO. So fast forward, I get over to Timbuktu and I call Alex. Did you get the deposit? He goes, yeah, but here's the craziest damn thing. This dude comes walking in our front door. He's like six feet, seven feet tall, whatever, with a cowboy hat and a belt buckle as big as a hubcap. And he goes, hey, I'm here to see that GTO. And Alex goes, oh, you here for David Nelson? He goes, I don't know who the hell David Nelson is. I'm here for that car. And Alex looks at him, and he had just received his $10,000 deposit like 30 minutes before. And he looks at this cowboy, and he goes, well, listen, sir, I'm sorry. I've got a deposit on the car. It's, it's sold. And he goes, look, I don't know what the hell you want for that car, and I don't care about this character that sent you a deposit. I'll give you $50,000 more than whatever the hell you're asking. I want to buy that car today. And he looked at him and he said, I'm sorry, sir. The car is sold. We all know people in dealers that would have taken that money and run and said, Hey, David, man, sorry. Someone bought it before your deposit came. Those guys at Miller Motor Cars were stand-up, mm -hmm. honest guys. And that was one of the best experiences because they would have had 13 reasons why they could have got well, out here, of it. Here's the difficult part of that for, for me as a dealer. Half the time, the guy who sent the 10K deposit three days later, five days later, would go, ah, shoot, I changed my mind. Can I get that deposit back? And that guy in the cowboy hat would be long gone. And that's the I tough part that. about doing business now because – dealers are expected to honor their word and rightly so but buyers are not held to the same standard so it says something about them too that they or it says something about you that they at least knew you that you well, honor your and, word because they, they took a big risk they didn't know me i think it's because yeah. they knew john ash but at the end of the day i think it's just because they have an honest way of doing business and hey look if they lost out on the sale because I was a knucklehead and flaked out, okay, that's not a good thing. But there's always someone behind him because the funny thing is that Alex, the sales dude, who is a great guy, he said, you know, David, that damn car's been sitting here for 11 months and nobody even asked anything about it. As soon as some guy comes in and wants to buy it, there's two or three more there's, right behind. That Isn't is that the, the way law it goes? of the car business. That it, absolutely it is. All right, worst experience worst experience feel when, free to name names when i was uh young and i had bought the 275 gts i met this guy 
and he said, hey, look, I know someone in Scottsdale, Arizona that's got a short wheelbase uh, and three other cars, and the prices were still low back then, and they could have been bought for like thirty or $40,000. And I, you know, obviously I didn't have the money, so I, I talked to my grandpa, and I bugged him, and I said, look, I'll give you the title to my Ferrari. Dino will give you the title to his Ferrari. Can you loan us thirty grand? And I mean, I was just a little pain in the ass, relentless. And finally, my grandpa looks at me and he goes, "All right, David, look, I'll loan you the thirty grand, and you're going to pay me when it's all over." And I said, "Okay, pop, no problem." And he goes, "I just want to tell you one thing. You're going to learn one of two things for this. You should have either done it sooner." or you shouldn't have done it at all. And basically, we got ripped off. And that really kind of changed my life in terms of, you know, how you go about doing things. And, and you know, and I was, I mean, I went after this guy for like three years and spent every nickel that I made when I was making five bucks an hour to try to fight him in the courts and do everything that I could. And finally, my grandpa came into my office at, at our old shop and he said, David, this is over. Here's your title. Here's Dino's title. I can't see you. This is killing you. And I know you're putting everything into it. This guy basically took advantage of you and just learned from this lesson. And that is a lesson that I learned from and have always held fast to it because of the fact that there are dishonest people out there, no matter how honest and how full of integrity you try to be. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Good. So like I told you, Doug, I'd rather think of the good things than the bad things, <laughs> but we can learn from the bad things, right? You should buddy? have asked you in reverse order. <laughs> no, absolutely. It, it is, it is what we learn from them. I've yeah. been screwed over a number of times in my life and, I'd love to have the money back. Me too, but but we, but we went to we got our master's degree in dealing the with this of hard crap, knocks. right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> As Dave Ramsey said, "I have a PhD in DUMB." <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna have to remember that one. Tell him I might steal that, and I'll still give him credit, though. <laughs> I don't think he needs credit. He's got enough. Ah, uh, man, I should have just made those two things the props and the flops for tonight. But anyway, props and the. Flops brought to you by Switch Cars. Switch Cars is the enthusiast dealership where we buy, sell, consign, service, and store only cars that we like ourselves. With complete integrity, I might. And he didn't pay Thank me you. to say that. <laughs> Check out our handpicked inventory at switchcars.com. Our pick of the week from Switch Cars inventory is I let David pick. What's your pick? I like that. 1991 Japanese Figaro. <laughs> the Figaro. I know. I told I you. That, I told you the 3.8 turbo. turbo. Okay, turbo. So but I'll take which the Figaro? Figaro. Oh, the one in the middle, the beige three one. Three of them. The beige, the beige one. one. I think that's fall. I, I don't know. They're color. I hate by the seasons. color, but I love the car. Yeah. All right. <laughs> so there's there's three Figaros we have for sale. So go check them out if if you uh, if you want one or all three. You could do it. Start a spec racing series. So. Uh, <laughs> It, they're economical and man I, that, gas is way up you could really use a one liter 
four cylinder. Look, and if you're box. if you're the guy that's six foot five, all you gotta do is open the sunroof and put your head out, put there some goggles go. on, and keep your yeah. mouth shut so the bugs don't get in. Change the badge <laughs> and rename it a Ferrari. Right, sounds the same. Our flop of the week and prop of the week. Um, I don't know which is which, but I'm just gonna say both of them, and you all can decide. So a few weeks ago on Bring a Trailer. A Roof RT12 sold for $950,000. What is that about? Uh, You saw that? Oh, I saw it for sure. I mean, it's white. It's beautiful color. But it, I mean, no none has ever sold ever for anywhere near that money. And somebody had commented like, oh, it was actually available before the auction for two hundred fifty k. So whatever. I don't know if props go to that guy or flops or something. Props I'm go thinking to the Jim Carrey, Dumb guess. and Dumber. <laughs> yeah. So there's another roof RT12S that sold at RM Sotheby's in Amelia Island this past weekend, and the estimate for that car was three to four hundred k. Even though this other one had sold for nine hundred fifty. Now the the one that sold at Amelia was Ed Bolian's car previously, and he said, "Well, here's why it's better because it's an S. It's got higher horsepower. This and that." I said, "Okay, but your car is matte black, so that's kind of a it's Downer. a tough color." But yeah, I don't know if a color makes a car worth three or four times as much. But we sat there and watched it sell, and it sold for four hundred k. Less than half, dude. I the would I, the I'd re- for five hundred thousand that the guy paid the premium. Strip it and repaint it, right? Man. <laughs> <laughs> right. So I, I don't know if the four hundred k one is the flop or the guy paying nine fifty k for the other one is a flop. I, I don't know, but one of them's a prop, one of them's a flop. The two extremes for two. I mean, those are probably the only RT twelves that have sold on the open market at all. In the last few years, two of them sold within a month on different auction platforms for more than a hundred percent difference in value. The market is freaking crazy right now. So um, maybe in some ways it's the time to buy certain cars that are not like those really big buck six figure cars to buy the ones that are less expensive that uh, people aren't going to go so crazy on the price. No, because all the other cars that were less expensive went for crazy money. There was a 2001 BMW M3, not a competition package car, just a 2001 M3 with reasonably low mileage in Laguna Seca Blue that sold for a hundred freaking six thousand dollars. We sold a comp package car in Laguna with BMW individual interior and sunroof delete with 20,000 miles for less than that. We sold it for a hundred and a regular O one M three sold for 106,000. It's, it's, you know, maybe they gave them too many cocktail coupons. They had to give before a they couple did. people too you know, many I mean, cocktail coupons. <laughs> Yeah. All right. Well, David. <laughs> hey, they've had enough of us, Doug, I'm sure. <laughs> thank you for being on the show. Where can people find you, follow you, check out your collection? Are you on Twitter, TikTok, Instagram? Dude, I'm still trying to get all the emails <laughs> off my inbox at work, you know, so tell them to call you. We'll get in touch. Call me. I'll post a picture of his, of his 599 GTO. Uh, but if you search around a little bit, you might, hey, hey, you hey, might hey. find him on Instagram. Uh, Doug, I might have to kill you. If I post pictures of the 599 GTO, maybe. 
<laughs> You're not Italian, are Thank you? Thank you very much, Doug. <laughs> it's been a pleasure to be here tonight. I I mean, whether we put these guys to sleep or not, I don't know, but hopefully they enjoyed <laughs> it care. as much as I did. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I had a blast. I always have a blast hanging out with you. Uh, Likewise, my friend. And that's what this has been. It's been great fun. So thank you for Thanks, being on brother. the show. Thank you to all of you who have been watching and those of you that attended. Mark Spence actually is asleep. <laughs> <laughs> thank you to our sponsors, BoxCast, Nuts for Sticks, Switch Cars, uh, Stephen Holm Woodworking, and Celebrity Machines. Thank you to our producer and call screener, Ethan Huffnagel. And our bumper music is provided by Emily and Ivory. You can stream their full album on Spotify or SoundCloud. This episode will be available Friday wherever you listen to podcasts. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next Wednesday at 8 p.m., and we'll look forward to answering your automotive questions to help you on the drive of your life. Way to go, buddy. Hey, so like, are we the new click and clack? <laughs> <laughs> I think that would work. You know, I'll tell you what. Aside from needing to take a leak, I need to have a drink so I can just chill out for this. You know what I mean? <laughs> Thanks, Tom. You got to help the old guys up. <laughs> I wouldn't say that. Oh.